Hello, and thank you for listening to this week's Cast Iron Shorts. Every week we ask you for prompt words out of which we weave a brand new story, write it, record it, and send it back to you as quickly as we can. Today, the words you suggested to us were exhausted, deadline, s'mores, wrapping, noodle, futz, mellifluous, magpie, and logophile. So tonight's story is Accidentals by Andrew Allen. Tom stood waiting, thinking, not for the first time, that it was a stroke of sick genius that his boss refused to have any chair in the office apart from the one he himself sat on. He watched as Edgar took a blue pencil through his copy. There was a soft scratching sound as the pencil ripped through more than half of what he had written. Lose that. You're repeating yourself here. This bit is you, not the story. Edgar's pencil hovered over a paragraph. For where Tom was standing, he knew what paragraph. What's this word mean? What word? Don't make me say it. Oh, mellifluous? Is that how you say it? I, I don't actually know. I've never heard it said out loud. So what makes you think our, any of our readers have? You may want to screw us all over and run off to the Guardian, but some of us are pretty proud to work here. Edgar said nothing else for a moment and continued his editing. He didn't ask what mellifluous meant again, adding to Tom's suspicion that the meaning had never been in doubt in the first place. As subtly as he could, he shifted his weight from one foot to the other, which earned him a penetrating glare from Edgar, but nothing more. He just wanted to get his copy back and file it before he missed deadline. He'd been up since four that morning and was exhausted. Eventually, Edgar handed back the four sheets of typed paper. Here. You still need to make 3,000 words, though. You just need to make sure they're different words once in a while. Our readers want the same thing repeated again and again. They can switch on Fox News. Tom didn't say anything. Edgar had instituted a rule earlier in the year that any mention of cable news networks would result in a fine. And for the first three months, that had earned more money than the swear jar. He waited to see if Edgar would drop a coin, but apparently the rules didn't apply to him. I'm trusting you, though. I haven't got time to futz around on this. This is the first story I'm not checking your sources on. You understand the privilege? Tom nodded. He did understand. If this had been some story about a cheating actor or a lying politician, then he wouldn't have even got into Edgar's office without his copy being checked five times over. And even these days, if a story got something wrong... There were still colleagues who would argue with an apparently straight face that today's newspaper was tomorrow's wrapping for a fish and chip supper. That bit in paragraph two, though, Edgar said. I don't like it. Tom knew what paragraph two contained, but he still had to check. And when he looked, it was untouched by blue pencil. So, if Edgar didn't like it, why hadn't he cut it? Tom looked back up at him. Is it fact or is it opinion? Tom shrugged. Not normally wise behaviour in an office where definition was sacrosanct, but he felt he was able to get away with it in this instance. Both, he said. 
it's been 70 years since anyone's heard the music of an Adelian flute, but contemporary accounts all agree it sounded a little like the song of a magpie. Edgar squinted at him. Is that a pleasant sound? Does it spark joy? Tom took a risk and shrugged again. I guess it depends on who's blowing the flute. He turned to face the door, mindful of the clock ticking ever on, but felt he should be officially dismissed. He turned back to face Edgar. The one thing I can't get through my noodle, his boss said. You cut out the main part of the story. You cut out the main point of the story. Bit of a surprise, considering what a lot of file you are. At Tom's raised eyebrows, he grinned. Not the only college boy that works around here, you know. He leaned forward. So what gives? Tom didn't quite know how to answer. It was true that he gutted out his own story, removing its angry heart. The main hook was still there, the fact that there used to be a musical instrument called the Delian flute that was long gone, and that nobody alive had ever heard its sound. But what Joe had edited out was that the Delian flute had been made of a particular type of wood, wood only to be found under the bark of a certain tree in North America, a tree that since 1932 had died out largely due to over-deforestation. A certain sound, only possible from a certain instrument, made from a certain type of wood, completely unique, never to be replicated. Before working on this story, it had never occurred to Joe that a piece of music could itself become extinct, and the idea depressed him in a way that he couldn't quite articulate. He hoped in his research to find a recording of the flute, but to no avail. There had been a performance at a Boston theatre in the 20s, but any records of the event had long since vanished. Edgar reached over the table and took the four sheets back. Go on, go home before you fall over. Have a beer, eat some s'mores, he said. I'll give these to Debbie to polish. You don't mind sharing a byline? Tom shook his head. He was likely to get more gigs by having his name attached to Debbie Morgan's reputation. It certainly couldn't hurt. He rested a palm on the door handle, aware that he hadn't answered Edgar's question. If I do a story about a tree dying out in the 30s, that will be the story, and nobody will care about the story. But if I keep it to the flute, that we can sell. That will be something people will miss, even if they never heard the music in the first place. Edgar grunted. You say these days nobody cares about forests being wiped out. Tom didn't bother to answer. He didn't have to. He opened the door and went back to his desk to retrieve his coat. There was a white, unmarked envelope on his desk. He was opening it before he even considered that it might contain razor blades or white powder. He must be tired. He took out the contents, which were wrapped in a single sheet of paper, on which were scrawled seven words. Hold the front page. Well... Page 19. Tom looked around the empty office. His story had been slated for page 19. Not many people knew that. Not many people would care. He'd let the sheet of paper fall to the desk and stared at what he was holding in his left hand. He hadn't seen one since he was about 20, about to leave home for his journalism degree. There was a scrappy label on the cassette tape. 12th of August, 1927. Boston Little Theatre. Tom's mouth suddenly felt very dry. He looked over at Edgar's office. He tried to remember if his mother still had a cassette player at home. He placed the tape carefully into his coat pocket. If he caught the last train to his mother's house, he might hear the flute before midnight.